Good morning. <clears throat> Good morning, everyone. I invite you to open your Bible and look with me at the very passage that we looked at just, uh, uh, just now. And so uh, thank you so much, Monroe, for helping to, to uh, guide us in this Advent um, reading of Scripture and remembrance together. All right? So tonight, today, I invite you to open your Bible and look with me to Luke's Gospel, chapter number 1. And today we're going to be talking about Mary's song, and it was a song that is uh, called the Magnificat. There we go. Now we got the lights on. All right. And so uh, it says it's from that Latin word. It means to magnify, to exalt, to lift up in praise the name of the Lord. And so Mary, she breaks out in praise and song. She's in the presence of her relative, a cousin, Elizabeth who's living in Judean village in the hill country in a village called Judah. And so Mary is so moved by the Holy Spirit that she speaks this song in nearly prophetic utterance. It's, it's preserved in Holy Scripture for our instruction. It's a song very similar to Hannah's song that's found in 1 Samuel the wife of Elkanah, you remember, that was barren and could not have a child, and, and she was praying to the Lord, and Eli confronts her, and then Eli, Eli tells her that she indeed will have a child. And at the birth and dedication of Samuel, she breaks out, Hannah does, in praise and song. Mary must have pondered and thought on that great hymn of praise herself. But she's not repeating that song. Indeed, it's her own song. It's a song of praise and worship lavished on God. Amen. Her heart is full. It's full of the love of God that had come to her in a very personal way. Notice in the scripture, in verse number 46, Mary said, My soul exalts in the Lord. My spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. Notice these personal pronouns. Notice the personal way that she's sensing and experiencing the love of God in her own heart. Listen closely, friends. Listen, church family. True praise begins in the love of God for us. It is his, his initiative in working in us and enabling fallen, lost, disabled, sinful people to be so transformed by his amazing love that we respond in praise, adoration, and exaltation of Christ. Hallelujah. The love, when known by us, can't help but break out in adoring praise to God. Let me just make this clear. Praise and worship isn't a mood. Well, I don't feel in the mood. You got greater issues than the mood. Well, it isn't my style. I just wasn't feeling it. That's not it. 
it's a response. It's a response to God that's spiritual and personal and real and moved by the Spirit of God back to God himself. That God loves me. That God is with me. That God saves me. That I am rescued. That I have hope. That I am safe. That I am loved. That I am valued. And God's name is worthy of praise. And only his name. So what causes this young woman to break out in such beautiful praise to God? As we think about the coming of God's love, I think that's the response that's taking place in Mary. And for, first of all, let's look, kind of look at the setting of this song and then the song itself and then what is our reprise, what is our response back in song to God himself. First of all, we understand the setting of it. It is Mary, and we understand who she is. Mary was from a little backwater town in Galilee called Nazareth. Nazareth was disdained by the uh, elite class, those in Judah, Jerusalem elites. Nazareth and all of Galilee really was considered to be too close to the Gentiles, too compromised, not kosher enough. Nazareth especially was despised. It says in the scripture, check and see, nothing good comes out of Nazareth, it said to the disciples. It's a backwater, hayseed region filled with rubes and dolts and, and second-class kind of Hebrew people intermingled and mixed with too many Gentiles. And she is a peasant girl. Mary is probably, some, many scholars think, 13, 14 years old, from a poor family, not the finest education, a Hebrew girl, but she knew Hebrew scripture. She was a student of his word. She was from the lineage of David, along with her, her boyfriend, more than a boyfriend, her betrothed. She's more than engaged. They are to be married and considered married, even though they've not had the consummation of that marriage yet. She is committed to Joseph. Now, Joseph is a carpenter. He's a woodworker. He's from the lineage of David. He's a humble woodworker and builder, and he's from Nazareth, although his hometown is in Bethlehem because he's of the lineage of David. What we know about this young girl is she's a virgin. She's never been married. This fulfills the scripture in Isaiah 7, which says, The Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel, God is with us. Well, in the back story that you know and we're going to look at here, we notice that an angel of the Lord is sent by God to Galilee, to Nazareth, and uh, he sent uh, this to this virgin girl who's engaged to Joseph. Notice in chapter 1, verse number 27, 
And uh, one of the descendants of David, Joseph is. And her name is Mary. And what does this angel of the Lord say to her when he encounters her? He says, greetings, favored one, blessed one. The Lord is with you. Can you imagine the surprise in Mary's heart when she encountered this angel saying, greetings, favored one. God's blessings are on you. God's grace is upon you. He was, this angel, Gabriel, was sent by God to Mary to announce that God had chosen her. This is one of the greatest ideas. God chose Mary. He chose her. There's a false idea that somehow has infiltrated our thinking that Mary somehow deserved this honor to bear the Christ. That's not true. Mary, like all of us, was broken and in need of a Savior. Mary, like all of us, needed God's favor and God's grace. And Mary, like all of us, We didn't decide, but God did the work of electing and saving in us, which is an amazing thought. God would so love us. She was chosen by God. The Lord is with you. You have found favor, God's blessing, and God has chosen to favor her, you, Mary. And Mary Mary didn't earn her her standing with God. It was a work of God's grace. There's... Really, I think a couple of extremes when it comes to Mary. First of all, sometimes we magnify Mary too much and we make her more important than Jesus or she supplants Jesus in our theology, in our thinking. I think that's wrong thinking. Or that somehow Mary earned God's favor or that Mary herself was sinless. No, that's not the truth. But... Other traditions ignore her, and they don't give much honor to her at all. She was the mother of Jesus, by the way. There's only one of those. But in Luke's gospel, chapter number 11, Jesus has a crowd of people around him, and there was a woman cries out with a loud voice, blessing and favor, she says, on, and, and, and she breaks out, may the person be blessed who, who bore you, who nursed you. And Jesus responds and says, on the contrary, blessed is the one who hears the word of God and obeys it. Don't elevate my mother higher than she should be elevated. Amen. And so there's this blessing and favor that's on Mary. It's the setting. It's a miraculous conception, by the way. She, he says, the angel of the Lord tells her that you're going to conceive and bear a son. And, and, and this is an unbelievable thought to her. Verse number 31, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and name him Jesus. He'll be great. 
to be called Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He'll reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there'll be no end. And Mary said, well, how can this be? She goes, I'm still a virgin. I've never been married. I've never been with a man. How can this be? And then listen to what the Lord says. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child will be called the Son of God. Wow, amazing that the Messiah, the King, the Ruler, the promise of God, it will be conceived in you, and it will be a miraculous thing that is conceived and born. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And Mary believes God. And she said, let it be done to me according to your word. I'm your servant. And Mary immediately, the angel says, listen, nothing's impossible with God. Even your cousin, Elizabeth, who's everybody called barren because she's in her old age. She has not been able to have a child, but now she's six months pregnant. Mary, God's doing miraculous things. She believed him. She hurried and made her way to the hill country, and she finds the little village of Judah, and there she finds Elizabeth. And her husband is named Zacharias, who's a priest. And they're both from uh, the lineage of, of Aaron and, and, and priests uh, involved in the in priestly line. And so she comes to their house, and when she comes, she... she uh, uh, she gives, there's a greeting when she enters the house. And, uh, and, and just filling in the back story of this, they couldn't have a child. Zacharias, you remember the story, was ministering in the temple. And it, the lot had fallen on him to minister in the temple. And an angel of the Lord, Gabriel, appears to him, appears to him and says, listen, you're, you're gonna, you're, you and your wife are going to have a baby. And he's going to be great. And he's going to prepare the way of the Lord. And Zacharias, it was more than he could understand. And, and he didn't really believe, certainly believe. And he said, how can I know that this is true? And how do I know what you're saying is true? And he said, look, my name's Gabriel. And I stand in the presence of the Lord. And he sent me to you. And so that you might know, you're not going to be able to talk for a while, dude, until the baby's born. And so, indeed, it does happen. And when he comes out, he's mute and, and unable to speak. And, and uh, is that way? And, t- and then she conceives, Elizabeth does, and he's mute during this whole time of her pregnancy. So when Mary arrives, she's over six, six months pregnant. And... and When she hears the voice of Mary, the baby leaps in her womb. And Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit, verse 41. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. 
She cried out with a loud voice, Blessed are you among women. Blessed is the fruit of your womb. Wow. She says, among all women, you are so blessed. And the baby you carry is incredibly blessed. And then she says, how can this be that the mother of my Lord would come to me? Elizabeth, under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, says, the child you carry will be my Lord and Savior. Isn't that an amazing thought? Wow. Two remarkable women, mouths filled with praise and prophecy, kept by the Holy Spirit in Scripture for our instruction. It's amazing, and it's beautiful. She says, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped in my womb for joy. And then she says to Mary, how blessed, how blessed is she who believed that there be a fulfillment what was spoken to her by the Lord. So here's this older, formerly barren woman, and she is rejoicing in God and says, Mary, you believed God, you trusted God, and God is doing an amazing thing through you. And she said, the baby inside of me is rejoicing, and I am filled with rejoicing and celebrating in the goodness and praise to God. That's the background. Here in this, this is the background for this great song that Mary breaks out into. First of all, let's kind of look at the song together. That's sort of the setting. Now let's look at the song. What has God done for me? It seems to be what Mary is saying. In verse number 46, my soul exalts the Lord. My spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. What has God done for me? Mary says, number one in this song, he has saved me. He's my Savior. Listen, you only need a Savior if you need saving. And she needs saving, my Savior. She says, this one inside me, that we're going to name Jesus is a Savior. That's the meaning of his name. He will save his people from their sins. Born for you this day in the city of David is a Savior who's Messiah, the Lord. And this Jesus, Jehovah, is salvation. This, this new Joshua is, is Jesus. And he will save me. Secondly, he regarded me. means he looked to me. He turned and looked with me with favor and with regard. He considered me of value. Even though I'm in this most humble state, I'm nothing but a poor slave girl. I'm nothing from back. I am, I am engaged to a carpenter from poor families in Nazareth and Galilee, and I'm nothing but a sinner and a young girl, and I, I'm just lower than a slave. But God has regarded me. Isn't that amazing? And not only has he regarded me, looked at me, he's lifted me, he raised me up, he's given me a future. And then she goes on to say, he's done great things for me. 
he's mighty. He is the mighty one. That's who he is. And he's done a miracle in me. He's done amazing things in me. And I can't even explain the fullness of it. It's never been heard what God has done for me. Isn't that an amazing thought? And then she moves from what God has done for me to who God is. Notice in verse 49, and the mighty one has done good things, great things for me, and holy is his name. The word holy, it's about the, that God is unlike any other thing. God is different. He is holy. The idea of holiness means something that is set apart, but in this context, she's saying he is holy. He is other. He is kadosh. He is pure. He is perfect. He's like none other. That's his name. In the Hebrew scripture, understanding who God is, it's, it's wrapped up in his name. And what is his name? Moses is saying, and what is your name? And who shall I say sent me? And he says, I am who I am. My name is Yahweh. Uh, it's, it's a word for being. I am who I am. I will be who I will be. I am. I am different than all other. I am omnipotent. I'm the present. Omniscient. I'm righteous altogether. I'm not like a man. I'm just. I'm immutable. I'm beautiful. I'm true. I'm righteous. I am glory. I am love. That's who I am. I am who I am. Moses struggled with understanding the very name of God and the meaning of God and the presence of God when the children of Israel rebelled and God, Moses was petitioning that God wouldn't wipe them all out in the wilderness when they rebelled and worshipped the golden calf and the idols. At, there's the breaking of that first set of Ten Commandments and the Lord meets with him on the mountain and he's petitioning him. He said, if you don't go with us, then we can't go with you. But who are you, God? Show yourself to us that we might know you. And he says to Moses, Moses, I'm going to show myself to you, but not the fullness of myself because you can't handle it, Moses. You'll see the backside of me, but listen to me. I will proclaim my name to you, who I am. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. And I shall show compassion on whom I shall show compassion. I'm sovereign God. That's who I am. He hides Moses in a crack in a rock. And he proclaims his name. The Lord. The Lord God, compassionate and gracious. Slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth. Who keeps loving kindness for thousands. Who forgives iniquity and transgression, and sin, yet will not let the guilty go unpunished. What is he saying? I'm compassionate. I'm sovereign. 
I'm forgiving. I'm slow in anger. I'm abounding in love, abounding in truth. But I'm just and true and holy. There's none that compare to him. He is holy. And in his holiness, he cares for the lowly. He cares for the downtrodden. And he brings favor and value, not to the rich of this world, not to the proud of this world, not to the, the, the most powerful elite of the world. No. He is holy. But one of the ways I know his holiness is he's not enamored with the status of men, but he comes to the lowly and he lifts us up. What a holy and righteous God and holy is his name. Is, if there was somebody that might have been indicted as being unholy, it might be Mary herself. And how are you expecting a baby? Mm hmm. The Holy Spirit came over you? Mm hmm. You think there might have been some accusation against Mary of unholiness? She said, the mighty one, the mighty one, the mighty one has done great things. And his name is holy. Because what's happened in me is the holy God fashioning this in me. Whew. That's amazing, isn't it? Amen. What has he done for all of us? What has he done for us? Well, she continues this great song and breaks out in praising the Lord. And she says in verse 50, his mercy is upon generation after generation toward those who fear him. Did you know that God's mercy wasn't just to Mary? God's favor, not just to Mary. God's election, not just to Mary. God's salvation, not just to Mary. God's lifting up the lowly is not just to Mary. God's doing it to every generation, to people who will turn to him. That's what he's done for us. He's done mighty things with his arm. What has he done? He scattered those who are proud in the thoughts of their heart. He scattered the proud. He broke the yoke of the proud and, uh, and those have been put down by them. He has a way of scattering them, putting them where they, and breaking their chains. He, he brought down rulers, notice, from their thrones, men who think that they have such high position, but the ultimate proud the ultimate ruler, the ultimate enemy of mankind is sin in us and Satan working against us. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. The thief, he, the, the devil is a liar and a thief. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Jesus came to break and destroy the works of the evil one. 
Jesus came and conquered death that life might reign in Christ. He had to be like his brothers in everything that he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all of their lives. Our Savior broke every chain, knocked down every ruler, and has lifted up his people to salvation. That is something to break out and praise to God for. Amen. Amen. This is what he has done. He gave us salvation. He's valued us. He's made us sons and daughters. But as many as received him, to them, he gave the right to become children of God. He's written your name in the Lamb's book of life. You've become children of God. You have been given an inheritance. You've been given a new name in Jesus Christ. We, of all people, should praise him. He's taken the hungry, he says, and satisfied and filled him. And God has remembered his promise. What promise? The promise that he spoke to his servant Israel, the nation of Israel, his promise that he spoke to Abraham in covenant promise. And what was that great promise? Notice, he has given help to Israel, his servant, in remembrance of his mercy. As he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his descendants forever. This is how God has blessed us and remembered his promise. He said to Abraham, Abraham, look at the stars. You see how many of them? So shall your descendants be. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? He promised he would bless all the world through Abraham. He promised David that there would one be one who would sit on the throne of David forever. His kingdom would be established forever. Jesus is that Messiah. Jesus is the promise that was given to Abraham. Jesus is the glory of God. Jesus is the miracle child. Jesus is the word become flesh. Jesus alone saves us from our sins. And our only hope is found in him. Jesus has done for us what no one else could ever do. And in a very similar way to how God worked in Mary, God's worked in us. We were lost in our trespasses and sins, weren't we? We had no hope, and we were without God. We were lowly and despised and rejected, we had no hope to earn our salvation or be made right with God. We had iniquity and sin inside of our heart. We were born in sin. We've committed sin, and we're separated and alienated from God, and we were dead in our trespasses and sins. But God, in his sovereignty and his rich love that he's lavished on us in Christ, sent his son, God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him 
should not perish, but have everlasting life. And God has visited us, and God has announced good news to us, and God has told us that his Son would be fashioned in us, and God in his Holy Spirit has overshadowed us, and God has caused us to be born from above of his Spirit. And it's a holy thing, and we're alive and children of God, and Christ in you is the hope of glory. Amen. He has gloriously loved us in the beloved. Woo! He's knocked down rulers, and he's raised up his people in Jesus. Amen? That's what this table's all about today. Because when we take this bread, we're remembering that Jesus not only came in the world, but Jesus did for us what we couldn't do. He atoned for our sin. So that the justice of God would be satisfied. He bore the holy wrath of God so that we might be made right with God. And in his body, he bore our sin. And in his blood, he paid for our sin. He spent his life, and he became the perfect sacrifice for all of our sins. It's glorious. It's amazing. And today, when you trust Christ, it means you believe him. You turn from your sin and put your faith that Jesus Christ alone is the Son of God, that he died for your sins and rose again, and your life is found in him alone, alone. Father in heaven, as we come to take this Lord's Supper this morning and find our place in this moment of worship, I pray that today, that it be a revisiting of your great grace and favor and love you poured out on us. And that today we would turn from our sin and we would trust in you. Father, if there's somebody here that doesn't know Christ as Savior, I pray that today they would pray and turn to God and trust in Christ and be born from above. Lord, you're working just as you worked in ancient days, you're working today and calling people to yourself. Father, we come to you today. In Jesus' name, amen.